Okay, it is uh, Wednesday night, uh, June 17th, uh, 2020. And uh, welcome to this week's edition of the Intrinsic Value Work Report radio um, and newsletter commentary. So we're just gonna be talking about kind of the three main topics which we've actually been talking about quite a bit the last few weeks. Um, that is kind of the state of the virus, the coronavirus, um, the state of the economy, and um, and how we should consider um, making investments. So um, this won't be a long uh, uh, recording uh, tonight, maybe 10, 10 minutes or so. Um, so um, there was, by the way, there was a very, very good article in the Wall Street Journal today, which um, my wife tells me was actually all over the internet. Many of you may have already seen it. Um, it was in the Wall Street Journal, and it's entitled, Consensus Emerges on How COVID-19 Spreads. A really, really good article, and I encourage everyone to read it, um, because um, you know, this applies more to our personal health and what we need to be concerned about and watch for. It also has some, some good comments for an understanding, I think, for the overall coronavirus situation, because um, that's, of course, what we're mostly concerned about in this, uh, in this commentary. Um, but more than anything else, this article really just talks about what we need to do with, um, to protect ourselves and, and also what, what we as a society, a uh, U.S. society and a global society really need to do. Um, but again, because you can kind of infer by reading mm -hmm. this article what's been happening and what hasn't been happening and does need to happen to kind of see um, you know, where the, the trajectory of the coronavirus is. And the trajectory is not good. Um, I mentioned in last week's commentary, the June 8th, that, we, that the coronavirus is having a resurgence. Now, actually, I, I call it a resurgence. Um, many people are um, saying it's not a resurgence at all. It's just, it's just a continuation of what's, um, of, you know, of, of one long wave. Um, many people, including Dr. Fauci, the kind of the head uh, um, uh, infectious disease expert for the country that, that's advising everyone on a global basis, uh, what we need to be watching out for and, and doing in all the countries and all states and so forth. Um, so, um, uh, you know, he's been calling for a, for a second wave uh, of this. I kind of picked up that same terminology, but there's many people that, that um, and there's even talk of a third wave. But many people are just saying, you know, it's really one long wave. You know, it doesn't really matter in, in you know, how you call it. Um, and what really the point is, is that we are, this is kind of surprising and, and disconcerting at the same time, is we are really just at the beginning of this, either one long wave or, you know, maybe at the start of a second or third wave. Now, I hope I'm wrong. The one thing that will save all of us, the, the whole world and, and all of us in the U.S. And, and so forth, is that if we get a vaccine and we get a vaccine quickly, then all of this, all of these bets are off the table because if we get an effective vaccine and effective and or effective treatments, then this won't be as uh, you know as bad of an issue. Um, and this is assuming that it's going to still take some time. And the, the estimates I've seen are that we apparently have three vaccines, um, at least three that are in clinical trials right now, and they're hoping, um, and it's a big hope, but they're hoping that by the end of the year, um, those you know clinical trials will be over and at least one of the, uh, the vaccines will work. Um, and I was reading today too, that we've actually got um, one treatment 
that seems to be helping a lot of the very, very uh, seriously ill patients. So we're making a lot of progress. My gosh, we have people all over the world that are really, really trying to, uh, to work on this as fast as they can. So this is really a wonderful effort on a, on a global community basis to try and uh, kind of lick this problem. But the problem, but the really, the thing for us as investors and students of finance and so forth is that, that you know, we are still in the midst, actually at the beginning uh, of a pandemic, um, at the beginning or the midst of it. And, um, and there has already been so much damage done to the economy. You know, uh, Fed Chairman Powell told uh, Congress the other day that it could take a decade or longer to, uh, to dig out the economic mess that we're in. Um, and uh, I think I even read today that, that he was saying that, um, you know, there's been s so much damage done to the economy, some of it's going to be, be permanent. And, and I think we've all figured out by now, there's so much of our life has changed in terms of how we're going to do business in the future. Um, you know, I think there's been more people staying at home. Uh, in this class, we watched the, um, the uh, uh, Kevin O'Leary um presentation uh, last week and you know, he was talking uh, um, about you know keeping what he said 20 percent of his uh, his workforce he wants them to, to stay home work from home for a lot of reasons uh, they're more efficient costing less money in office space and so forth and he's not the only one I think um, a, you know a huge number if not most companies now are considering that as well so you know life is life has changed um, probably for the most part for the better um, but the economy is, it's going to take a while to, uh, uh, you know, to get out of these problems. And, and we still see, uh, keep seeing many, many negative uh, things coming out of the economy. There have been some positive signs. Um, you know, employment was up in May. I think retail, retail sales, um, according to this paper, they rebounded 17.7% in May. So there's some signs, some mixed signs uh, for the economy, some possible turnaround, but, but still just a lot of very, very bad economic news. And, and as I said, the real problem is, is that we don't have a cure yet for the virus. We don't really know when we're going to, um, although there's a lot of hope that it's going to be sooner rather than later. So having said that, um, how should we be thinking about investing? And I pulled up an article I wanted to share with everybody. Um, this was actually from two weeks ago in the Wall Street Journal. This is written by a fellow by the name of Jason Schweig. Um, and he's he's written, he was a columnist for the and, and is a columnist for the Wall Street Journal uh, for many many years. Um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. I've always enjoyed reading his uh, his column and his commentaries and so forth. And so this one I thought was particularly um, useful again as investors to kind of keep a perspective on what's happening. So, you know, where where do we stand? We we have a virus that is we're still somewhere in the beginning to middle stages of it no cure yet. We have an economy that is, that is in horrible shape. Um, but the, uh, the topic of, of his article, um, his column, by the way, is called The Intelligent Investor. And I really encourage you to read his, his material. He's, he's excellent. He's been around a long time, um, uh, kind of like me. <laughs> We've both been around the blog a few times, and that, that always helps. Um, but, um, and, if, and Mr. Schweig, if you ever listen to my uh, to this podcast again I, I want to commend you for uh, uh, such really uh, good insights and, and wonderful writing on all your topics so the title of his um, uh, of this article from I believe it was June 6th uh, the June 6th edition of the Wall Street Journal is the, the title is this bull market 
isn't as big as you think. This bull market isn't as big as you think. Um, and here's his point, and I've mentioned this before uh, for you guys um, in, in previous podcasts we've done, but it's worth repeating. And, it's, and again, I, I think he's got a good perspective that's worth sharing here. So what he's telling us is just, just a handful, and I'm kind of paraphrasing and reading from his article, just a handful of big, big winners are responsible for most of the stock market's rapid recovery. I've got another article, which I'll show you just what those numbers look like. But anyway, it's just a handful of companies. So um, in, the, in this week's commentary, which will be dated uh, June 15th, I'm just starting to write that, that uh, commentary uh, today. And, and, I've, and I've, what I've been saying is kind of what I've been telling you guys. You know, the, the, the rhetorical question is, when we talk about the market, what is the market? What do we mean by the market? Well, um, as, as you know, as we talked about, um, the, the, the market has at least a couple of different uh, definitions of what it is. Now, the average investor, or you know, the retail investor, the, the average person on the street, on Main Street, for example, you know, we always talk about Wall Street versus Main Street, right? So Main Street's just the average person, um, whereas Wall Street is more the professionals, the institutions, and so forth. So the average person on Main Street, when they think about the market, they usually think about the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is 30 stocks, 30 industrial stocks. It was developed by Charles Dow way, way, way back, um, early 1900s or late 1800s. I'm not sure, but it was a long time ago. Um, and, you know, back then it was, it, it was the first of the uh, indices um, for the market, and it was, it was, it was good. It, it covered you know, what the market, what the market was. Um, so it was the industrials, it was transportations. There's a third one that escapes me for the moment. But that's how they measured the market. And But the Dow Jones Industrial Average is only 30 stocks. So institutional investors prefer um, a measure of the market, um, which we know as the Standard & Poor's 500, the S&P 500. Um, and the S&P 500 is the 500 largest companies traded um, on U.S. exchanges, okay? So the S&P 500 largest um, 500 companies traded on U.S. exchanges. Um, and there is, by the way, even a broader market index that Standard & Poor's puts together. Um, so if you take the S&P 500 is the 500 largest, uh, the next category down is the S&P 400, which is the um, 400 mid-cap stocks, when we say mid-cap, uh, middle capitalization. Um, and then the S&P 600, which is the, uh, the lower small cap stocks, so the, the smallest capitalization stocks. We add that up, 600, 400, and 500, that's 1,500. There actually is an S&P 1,500, although most people never even heard of it. But that would be a better, better measure of the market even than the S&P 500. But by convention and, and um, just what's been used for, you know, a long, long time is the S&P 500 that represent the market. So that's certainly better than 30 stocks, um, but the S&P 1500 would be better. There's even other indices um, which which are even better. The Wilshire indexes, for example, have as many as 4,000 stocks, um, give or take, um, in theirs. So, so we have to, so really we, the first thing we have to look at is, well, what is the market? Well, this art market, I'm sorry, this article that uh, Jason, Jason Swig wrote uh, uses the S&P 500 as the definition. 
definition of the market. And so it's important to understand. And by the way, the S&P 500 is what we call a market capitalization weighted index. So that means that the companies in the index um, uh, that the, 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 the 500 companies that make up the index, their influence in that index is based on their market capitalization. Market capitalization is the price of their stock uh, times number of shares, okay? And so companies with a high price and a lot of shares carry more weight and influence in the S&P 500 than companies that have a lower price and a lower uh, number of shares. So that's important to explain this stuff for you to understand what he's talking about here. So just a handful of big winners uh, responsible for most of the stock market's rapid recovery. So we're talking about um, the market being the S&P 500 and this handful of stocks are gonna be the stocks in the S&P 500 that have the highest prices and the most shares. Um, okay, and so what he makes the point, and this is something, this is really kind of the key here to understand, and really kind of the key that I want you guys to, to focus on, that you know, we, we see the S&P 500, which is, a, which is actually um, back up just below the highs that we reached in February. So the market reached kind of a high point in February, then a low point, I believe, on March 23rd. And it's come back up quite a bit now to where it's not that much below um, the, um, uh, the, the high point reached in February, okay? But again, when we talk about the, the market, we're talking about the S&P 500, which is heavily dominated by just a handful of stocks. Because even in the S&P 500, most stocks are down this year, many by as many as 20% or more. So again, let me say that again. Most stocks are actually down. So despite what we see in the S&P 500 being up, Okay, that means that just some of those, that handful of, of large, of those um, uh, large capitaliz capitalization stocks uh, that have done well, and we'll talk about those in a moment, there's, they're what are kind of distorting, giving us this illusion the market's doing really, really well. The reality is most stocks are down and down by a lot. Um, so he gives some examples in his article. Um, and you know he, he he's talks about entire industries have been flattened um, earlier this week. So this would have been a couple of weeks ago. Airlines were down an average of 52 percent uh, year to date, down fifty two percent. Airlines, banks um, down thirty three percent. Energy down thirty two percent. Autos off thirty percent. Consumer finance off twenty seven percent. Even utilities were down five percent. Again, most stocks in the market, whether you define it as the Dow or the S&P or the Wilshire, <clears throat> most stocks are down. Um, here we go. Overall, of the 3,470 stocks in the Wilshire 5,000 index that traded between December 31st and June 2nd, 73% had negative returns for the year to date. 73% of the companies in that very, very broad index, by the way, 33,470 3, stocks. Um, that's if our database uh, has like 6,000 stocks in our database, that's all the stocks in the New York, the America, and the NASDAQ. So that's more than half of, half the companies in what, what I define as the entire market being you know, right around 6,000 stocks. Um, 
and 72% of those um, uh, had negative returns. So, um, so that's you know that's the picture there. Um, uh, wanted to kind of just give you a little one little statistic here. I get my flashlight because it is dark. Uh, let's see. Bear with me one second, guys. Here we go. So um, the the stocks, some of the stocks that are um, that are really pulling the uh, uh, the the S and P five hundred index up is um, as you might um, these names aren't going to surprise you at all. Uh, it's Microsoft, Apple Computer, Amazon, uh, Alphabet, which is the parent company of uh, of Google, um, and Facebook. And they currently, as of uh, this was June eighth. They currently make up 20% of the um, of the S&P 500, and by the way, that's up from 12% uh, um, five years ago. So those those stocks I just mentioned uh, make up 20% of the index. So when we see the market, as defined by the S&P 500, going up so much, you know, keep in mind that a big part of that is because of those very very large, um, you know, just what five or six stocks. That are that are really distorting the entire picture. Um, the market, and this is the last point I want to make before we wrap up this commentary for the night. Um, the the market is 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 not cheap. I've been saying this for quite some time now. Um, uh, it got cheap, really cheap, in March, um, but it didn't stay that way for very very long, and it's um, it's it's come back again because of these uh, this handful of stocks uh, to where. And as you know, we, we value the market um, in several different ways. But one of the main ways we use is price earnings ratio on a historical basis. Um, and I know the arguments for uh, the um, CAPE and you know forward price earnings and so forth. But I think um, the historical PD ratio just tells us a lot. Um, and it's a lot of studies are based on that. Anyway, we can, we can look at that and compare it with, with the historical averages. Um, our historical average for what the PD ratio should be is between 15 and 18. And once you get much beyond, um, you know, once you get into that 18 PD ratio range, then that chart I keep referring to, which I really refer you to again. Um, and if you have a question about that, you can call or email me. Um, we'll talk about um, where to find that later. We talked about that in previous uh, podcasts and so forth. But anyway, so the current PD ratio as of last Friday um, uh, was uh, for the Dow Jones Industrial Average 21.41, for the S&P 500 21.81. So almost 22, 21 and a half, and almost 22 uh, PD ratios. Again, that is that is not a cheap market. And historically speaking, when we get into those kind of very high valuations. Um, the uh, you know the expectation, according to that one one chart I've been referring to, um, your expectation of the return over the coming ten years when you're looking at markets that are that overvalued is a uh, a negative return. By the way, let me just make that one final point. In Jason Swag's article, um, so he. He, the last two paragraphs, I'll just read those from his article here. 
because um, like like uh, like I, he is a believer in value investing. So um, it stands to reason that in the long run, cheaper stocks uh, will outperform the more expensive ones. But this market has a lot of very very cheap stocks in it. Um, when you look beyond the, the handful of stocks that are really pointing the averages up. Um, so um, decades, even centuries of history suggest that value should excel in the end, although the wait can be long, and believe me, um, uh, the wait can be very, very long, um, but it can be worth the wait. So as is final concluding comment, patient investors can overweight value stocks in their portfolios on the reasonable assumption that their underperformance can la uh, can't last indefinitely. And so, um, uh, just one last so the one last thing I wanted to discuss uh, with you guys is is you know really how you should be in, investing now in the market. As I've been saying for several weeks, um, this is not a cheap market. You don't want to be jumping back into the market with both feet. Um, I do think it makes sense, although I believe the market is overvalued. Um, I do think it makes sense to continue the investment program if you, if you had one going, um, or to start one. You know, it's it, it's more important to start, especially for you young folks, uh, to start an investment program than to um, than to try and wait for the market to become cheap. Because as as Mr. Swag points out, um, uh, it can take a long time for uh, uh, you know for the markets to correct back where they should be. In the long run. Uh, you know, markets should trade probably between 15 and 18 on a valuation basis, PD ratio valuation basis. But it can take a long time for that to happen. And waiting to invest um, is probably not gonna, uh, probably not gonna be the best approach. So, you know, just start investing a little bit um, using the dollar cost averaging approach, which we talked about in the last uh, uh, couple of weeks. And we have a separate podcast on that. Um, but don't jump back into the market in a big, big way. If the market really crashes and you're quick enough, you might you have some extra cash sitting around, then you might want to uh, jump back in. But for now, just keep a regular investment program going, dollar cost average, um, and over time, you should be very, very well. All right, with that, I'm going to wrap up this commentary for tonight until uh, next week. Stop the recording here.